Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on? And thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. On today's podcast, we go over tips and tactics to remember for the public land hunter. And without any further ado, let's jump into the podcast. What's going on, guys? I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. I got my co-host alongside me, Greybeard, Elliot, the Silver Fox, the man of many <laughs> names. <laughs> and our guest for the day is uh, Matt from High Prairie Sportsman. What's going on, guys? guys? Glad to have you back, buddy. Yep. Glad, Glad to, to have you back. back. Definitely um, great to have somebody from Nebraska on when we're doing a public land conversation because of all the public land opportunities you guys have in Nebraska. <laughs> yep, you're not wrong. We got them from all corners of the state. There's a there's a plethora and some really cool ones, too. Yep. Beautiful state. Oh, yeah. It's My crazy. My second favorite state, only only second to Kansas, and it's I, I guarantee it's probably better than Kansas. <laughs> a great state. One crazy thing about Nebraska that I recently saw or recently found out was uh, the hunting public did a video where they went turkey hunting way up in the northwest corner, and they're getting Merriam turkeys, um, and like in this mountainous region, region that I, I didn't really realize Nebraska had that, and that's uh, pretty cool. <laughs> yep, uh, was that the Pine Ridge? Yep, yep. Yeah, that that's really cool country up there. It's crazy. That's northwest or northeast? Oh, it's sorry, northwest. Northwest. Yeah. Did northwest. I say northeast? <laughs> I couldn't remember which one. Oh, okay. What's that? Right on Wyoming? Right up on the Wyoming border? Is that what that would be? It's a little further than that. It's around Shadron, if you know where that is, and then east of there. Even it's there's like a couple. There's a national forest that was actually planted, and then there's a Pine Ridge area that that was planted as well but um both of them are really cool really cool country lots of trees up there yeah i think that we all get in the habit of we think of a state and you get one idea in your mind of what it is and that's just not the case like i mean kansas has totally flat land like people think but then there's forests there's rolling hills and i know nebraska's when i first saw the sand hills i was like what is this this is not Nebraska. Yep. I, I see it all the time on like online stuff. You know, people will be like, oh, Nebraska's a boring state and stuff. I'm like, you guys got to get off the interstate. <laughs> you got to go north in the sand hills. That is some of the coolest country, in my opinion. It's beautiful. Huh. This yeah. is boring for hunting or just boring, like just if they're boring not hunters? I, <laughs> I Those are big city people. Let, let yeah. them have their city. I, to me, the more people that flock to the big cities, the better. Let's just combine them all in one spot and we can go about our way. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right, I guess let's uh, just jump into giving out tips for the public land. I guess I'll start. Um, one thing that I've been doing lately with uh, public land hunting is doing a lot of online map scouting. And, uh, you know, in Indiana, we don't have, kind of like what I was saying earlier, we don't have a lot of options for the public land. And a lot of the public land that we got is just river. So um, I'm doing a lot of map scouting, looking for new access sites, looking for uh, sandbars, near access sites, uh, you know, just going through all of that. And then, um, you know, trying 
to scout out before season because during season you're so busy scouting out the places that you have already and the places you're going to hunt. You know, off season's a great time to check out um, via map and then check them out before season um, to make sure they're viable um, spots. And then along with that, um, you know, you want to check with your DNR um, just to make sure that those spots are legal to hunt because um, a lot of a lot of places in Indiana it's hard to tell. Um, you know, opposed to some other states, I'd guess. <laughs> I'll, I'll do some of the online scouting as well. Um, there's a lot of, I like the online plat maps and Onyx. I mean, I, I don't use it, but Devin does, and he's found us a couple other new spots with that. It works pretty good. Um, other than that, uh, you know, the just... Back in uh, back in college, I'd look up the lake map even online just so I could know if I could wait out there because I didn't have a dog. Still don't, but uh, it does their job this summer or winter. <laughs> but yeah, I'd look up the depth charts they use for fishing so I could know if I could wait out that far if I got a duck out there. But nice, but you got the kayak too. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have it back then, but now oh, I do. Yeah. That that really helps too. See, that'd have to be paid not to have a kayak or a dog. <laughs> Stay close to popping them a few times. Hmm. I'll um, say yeah. with the uh, with the maps as well. Th- these days, and I'm assuming by maps you guys are talking about like Google Earth or what type yep. of map is that what you mean? Yep. Um, well, anymore you can just go to you know GoogleEarth.com and find it. But if you if you download like you used to and, and get it onto your desktop. And you pull up that Google Maps, you can actually look at. Maybe you can do this on, on the one I haven't figured out how to do it yet. Um, but I know on the ones that you download, you can look at the Google Maps historical data, because if you're looking at um, the current Google Map data, it's only going to show you one snapshot. And it's important to know what date that that snapshot was taking taken on, and what the water levels were actually like at that time because a lot of marshes will dry some year, flood the next. So if you have access to the Google historical images, which you can download and you can roll them back, you can look over the last 15 years and look and see some places that aren't holding water now um, will hold water. Like I've got a handful of places that I always keep my eyes on that I know are gonna flood under high water years that I don't ever hunt. There's one place now, one of my very place, favorite places to hunt hasn't had water for like four years in a row. So if, if you're studying maps, I wouldn't say, when, when you say study them, you need to get obsessive about them and identify an area. So you say, okay, I know that there's some duck hunting in this area. Um, and now spend your time studying the maps thoroughly over historical data put pins down on the maps, the places that you need to go out and look at and then go out and look at them and just make yourself a checklist. The place that I hunt now, it took me three years of intensive scouting to really know the area. And still every now and then I'll find a little hole. And this is after just studying the maps and looking at the maps. I'll still every now and then find a little hole. It's like, Oh, there's water back in there in certain conditions. Um, so uh, when we say study the maps, it doesn't mean just kind of look at them. You're looking for areas that along rivers that might flood, um, that have flooded, and then get out there and walk and look, um, see, what, see what's growing up in it, and, and really spend 
lots and lots of time with with these maps and then boots on the ground after that so with uh with those flooded areas um is that considered public land then in kansas or is it just well the, the, the place that I, the place i'm talking about is all public okay. in, in the state of kansas um which is not the, this land missouri any waterway is public you just can't get outside of what they call the river banks in kansas there's only about three rivers that are public the rest of the rivers you just can't even touch because in order to get in the other river systems you have to have uh, landowner permission on both sides anywhere that you go which that, so that makes it to travel it with a boat that makes it impossible because you're talking you know you'd have to have permission of 40 50 guys if you went you know, five <laughs> miles or something it's, it's just not not doable so the the navigable waterways that are public if it floods outside the banks you still can't do it you have to stay inside of the high water mark um so the places i'm talking about are specifically inside of public hunting areas so we've got an area around here that has lots of trees and you've got a big reservoir and you've got river system so and that's a good place to look river reservoirs with where the river comes in to it are really good places to look because so it's pretty confusing happen? though well if, if you just check look at the reservoir look at the water system that goes into it there when you have high water they're going to hold water in that reservoir and so that water is going to back up into that river system and as it backs up into that river system, you're going to have flooded pools. Well, how, how does it flood higher than the high water mark? Because that's what's confusing. Because you say the high water mark and the high water mark should be where the water's the highest, right? And then if it floods past that, then no, that's, that's the not, new no, high water mark. Its, no, that's outside its banks. Okay. And, and these areas, this is, all, this is all public what I'm talking about. So you've got the Kansas River where the high water mark um, pertains, right? And that's once you get into the Kansas River... You can go up and down it, all over it, but you cannot come outside of the banks, essentially, no matter what the water levels are. So if the water levels spill outside the banks into a cornfield, you can't go into it because that's that's now into a flooded area. Yeah, that makes sense. But in the wildlife areas, like the one I'm talking about, then you have a reservoir, and then the water system that flows into that, all of that is public. And all the fields that adjoin it, these are where most of the marshes are contained. But the thing is, you've got a couple marshes that 80% of the people hunt because you can just roll into the parking lot and get out and go. But then if you really get, get into it, there's all these other little pools and all these other areas that you can't just roll into a parking lot and see. You have to actually go and find. And th those are the places that I'm talking about, the places that actually take work to finding. And once you find those, then you're not hunting with, you know, shoulder to shoulder with people anymore. How are your rivers, Matt? Um, in Nebraska, you can get on any body of water as long as you're not touching the bottom, like all, <laughs> basically all water. So you could go on someone's private pond if they dropped you in like a raft from a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I, I wish I could have been in some of these like original board meetings, like where they're like making the laws, like, no, you can be in the river, but if your foot touches, you're trespassing. <laughs> <laughs> Cause like I've heard a lot of like stories like that from the fly fishing community as well. Whereas like people will stand and watch and if your boat like hits a rock under the water, then they can call the DNR on you for trespassing. <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. It would be interesting to and see I how those things got set up the way they're set up. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
So yeah, at least uh, in Michigan for the fly fishing, like the duck hunting and, and fly fishing are totally different, which so you had fly fishing in Michigan and I thought about getting um, a hunting license for Michigan and hunting the rivers for there as well. But it's just, uh, it's like Elliot saying, you got to have permission on both sides and it's just, it's impossible. So I just, I'm just not getting a license to hunt there. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people just do it anyway, but especially in more rural areas, people are just like, well, screw that. We're going to, we're going to go these little rivers and, and do it anyway. But that's technically the way now Missouri, in Missouri, if it's, I, I think you can touch the bottom in Missouri. I think I'm not positive. You can but. in Indiana. See, like, how do you, if you touch the bottom, like, uh, Matt saying, like, you couldn't wait out to get your bird. Like, if you shot one, you'd have to be in a kayak, sitting off the bank, two feet, shoot it, and then paddle out, out and get it. Right? And, yeah, and technically, you couldn't even have decoys with weights on them. Like, if any any of your property touches it, that is trespassing, at least in Nebraska. Like, even a, throwing out a fishing line with a weight on it, that weight's touching the bottom. Trespassing. <laughs> now, is that that's true of all rivers all all waters in nebraska like private I know that we we canoed the niobrara one time when we were up there fishing don't fall out <laughs> and i were if any is that true so would that have been true because i mean everyone lots of people canoe and kayak the niobrara so is that that's true on that river as well the niobrara is like a special i i don't know it has a because it's like designated a scenic river or something so i think game and parks has a some agreement with landowners or I don't know what the whole deal is with that, but there's a special agreement in place up there. Okay. Uh, and there's a few state parks along it too. So part of it's state owned. I know with Kansas, the ones they call navigable rivers. So rivers that they used to use for commerce where they had merchant ships going up and down. Those and are the ones they said, okay, these are public, but if you can't get some type of, um, if there's not, if there was never any kind of merchant traffic, traffic on the waterways, then those are the ones that are all private. That's how Indiana is as well. So anyone that's navigable, you can, uh, hunt you can touch the bottom, everything. I mean, you can even sit on the banks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's probably the truth. You probably can't come out of the, up on the, out of the riverbanks, just like Kansas <clears> though. <throat> Cause we can hunt the banks too. You can give up on, up on the banks. You just got to determine where the high water mark is and not go past that. And that is the high river mark is that's a subjective thing, obviously. Yeah. Or the high water mark, not the high river mark, high water mark. All right, Matt, you want to drop us some public land knowledge? Okay. Well, uh, I guess, I guess probably one of the things I do, and I know Elliot wants to talk about this too, is I, you know, put in a lot more work than other people. That's one thing I think that'll really help successful especially on public land i i've hunted around like lincoln and eastern nebraska and i see parking lots right there and they'll set up 10 yards from the parking lot um you're not i'm um, not to say the birds won't come by they won't swing by but if you you know backpack back there or kayak back somewhere put your put this time in scouting and all that do do the hard work it you usually you'll be rewarded or eventually you will be yeah, and some of the reward from that is just being away from everybody else because, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes that's worth more than just having, you know, a great hunt, you know, getting out there further in seclusion and in, in, uh, in nature, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I've said that on my videos a, a ton of times. I would rather shoot 
three ducks off by myself or even two ducks by myself and then scratch out a limit around a bunch of people. Our, our number one goal is to not just shoot ducks, but to shoot ducks in isolation away from everyone else. So in order to do that, you need to know where does everyone else go and you find where everyone else goes, which is typically going to be the best feed spots that because the, the game managers are going to cultivate those pools the best. So what happens, what starts happening is the ducks will sleep in those pools and they will night feed in those pools and you'll come in in the morning and you'll hear just thousands and thousands of birds quacking. And then um, as soon as sun comes up, they're gone. So finding where they go to, if you find some of these other surrounding pools that don't have as, as good a feed as some of the main pools, then you can catch ducks coming in. They'll be full bellied from the night and they'll be coming to hide or loaf. Um, and, and that's kind of what we target. So where's your uh, cutoff point then? Is uh, zero ducks in isolation better than a, a limit by people? Or No. <laughs> uh -uh. So what's the cutoff? You got a cutoff? Or well, it, it, it depends about. on the experience. You can hunt. You, if you're hunting, number one, I don't like even seeing people when I'm out hunting. I don't even like seeing them. But, I mean, not that I have a problem with them. It's just so much more fun if you can't see anyone else. Yeah. Because you just feel, you feel like you're all by yourself. If I can see other people, but they're going about their business and they're not sky busting and they're not just blowing their call like crazy. I can't hear them laughing and yelling and shouting. Um, kind of makes me seem like a jerk to say that, but I just, I, I, I like people to be, I'm very quiet in the marsh and I, and I like people to be quiet. So if they're, if they're handling themselves in the way that I personally enjoy, then being around some people doesn't bother me. If they're hooting and hollering and yelling and sky busting and, and calling my ducks and and the whole day is a frustration then I, it, it's, it's hard on my emotions that way i get worked up i hear you that reminds okay. me i had a experience like that uh, last year where um i went out and uh you know um out in the marsh and this is like a small small section where like two two groups can hunt at max probably and uh so I'm on the front of this island. This guy is like 250 yards, like behind this island, another island, and he's set up on that far side. And every single time I called the ducks, he called. <laughs> every single time. Like, he couldn't even see him. And every time I called, he would call. And at first, I'm like, is this guy calling every time I call? And then I do it again. I'm like, this guy's calling every single time I call. So just to test the guy, I didn't see geese at all. I switched to my goose call, started goose calling, and I hear this guy goose calling. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. I, I just, I ended up just leaving. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that actually kind of reminds me of another thing, I guess. Um, that actually can work in your favor when people are calling a lot or tons of mojos. So, like, like middle of the season, late of the season, we'll put the mojos away. We'll uh, hardly call because the ducks are used to everybody just blowing on hail calls or seeing 10 mojos out there. And if we have one, we'll have maybe one and you know, it depends on the weather, but we hardly call. We'll just give them a couple small confidence quacks, get them in there. And usually we have better results than the people, you know, hunting boat blinds or whatever else, just cause you kind of just shut up and the birds, you know, they'll, they'll come into you. Yeah. So you think that uh, one mojo is better than 10 late season? Yeah. I I don't even put the mojo out. and I, I'll put it out for teal season and early duck, and then I usually put it away unless the weather 
See, I don't like I don't like it, but see, I've heard people saying things about Mojo, but honestly, I've never had an issue. And but I've only ran the max I've ever ran is two or three, and uh, and I've never had an issue with them. <laughs> I don't know if that's because I'm further north than everybody. Uh, yeah. No, we we don't ever run more than two either. Um, I don't like I don't like huge spreads of seven or eight or nine. I just don't like how it looks. I don't like how it feels. Um, but we run one or two and we never, I mean, we've never had any success in pulling the spinner. I mean, on, if we have days where the birds are being shy or aren't quite doing what we want to do, um, we frequently try to pull the spinner and see if it makes a difference. And not one time has it ever, ever helped us. I know lots of people say that it's helped them. And so we, I, we keep trying it we keep trying it, but I've never, ever had it make uh, leave a favorable response pulling it. And I, I've heard that recently about the sunlight versus the cloudy about it's so much better in the sunlight. And I, that's really interesting. I'd never, I'd never thought about that until one of the guys we had on was talking about that. I think it was John, um, I believe, but that, yeah, but that, that's interesting point about the cloudy versus Sunny. All right, you're yeah. up for the. Oh, oh, go ahead, Matt. Go ahead, Matt. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't want to take over the whole thing here, but uh, what I, I guess, basically, my public land strategy is just kind of be different than anyone else or everyone else. You know, switch it up. Do, just do different. Try different things and see how the birds react. It's, and if they don't like it, we'll switch it up. I mean, keep trying it. You're not wasting time if you, you know, they'll come back. 10 o'clock or whenever. Um, so I just try to be different. That's probably the number one thing I could tell people. By switch it up, do you mean that you do a lot of um, decoy spread adjustments during the hunt? Yeah. yeah. Yep. I'll, uh, and just starting out, I like, uh, you know, I, I did a decoy video about this, but I uh, kind of, um, so, you know, you got your basic, uh, basic, decoy patterns people will use the u or the j or whatever and i'll use those every now and then or variations of them like i'll do pods of ducks more than some um or i you know based on scouting they how we have them out here at some of the lakes is they really hug the cattails tight and then there'll be a little group of bunch of coots and stuff and no one out here uses coot decoys as just as an example so we, I went out and bought six coot decoys, got laughed at it already last year for them, but uh, they worked. I actually think that was part of our success last year. Just different things like that. And I got diver decoys too, just something that pulls their attention away from all the other, you know, just basic decoy spreads. Maybe we could get a mojo to get on board and uh, make us a coot mojo. <laughs> <laughs> Make one with running feet. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> have, you, have you ever been rolling in a boat with a bunch of coots around and just watch how they try to get up off the water? And they are the clumsiest looking <laughs> birds. Oh, my Lord. They're funny. All right. You're up, Elliot. Um, well, one thing, piggybacking on what he said a little bit, then I had another. Let's see if I can think of it. But um, if the ducks aren't doing what we want, we, we do the same thing. We will shift the decoy spread a bunch. And eventually, you can figure, if, you can figure it out. If, if the ducks, on days where the ducks just don't quite, aren't quite doing what you want to do, whether they're 
what you want them to do, whether they're landing on the outskirts of your decoy or whatever. If you just keep shifting your decoys around, a lot of times you can find something to where you're getting the land where you want them to land. And some, sometimes it's as simple as moving everyone back 10 yards. That's more and more. That's the first thing we're trying when we can't land birds. It's just to move everyone back 10 yards and that we're having great success about that. And uh, you mentioned the two pods. We This is the second year in a row we've gone to the to two pods. I'm assuming you mean just like a group, two groups, and then a big space in the middle. Yeah. Um, yep. We've gone to that more and more the last two years with great success. And we, we, we go to that a lot where um, – days where the wind is completely wrong and we can't fix it to where they have to kind of, if the wind's going from your back, which is very few days, but there's some days where you just have to set up where the wind's at your back. And we've had great success with pods on that day, getting them to come swing around in front of us and then shoot them as they're landing in between those two pods going away. So I definitely like the two pod system that, that you were talking about. I had another one about public and I can't think of, I can't think of what it was right now. You go ahead and go on. I'll, I'll, I had it. It'll come back. Uh, I was going to ask you about something you just said. Now I'm trying to think of what it was. Um, I guess I'll just go ahead and we'll, we'll come back to that if, if we think of it. Um, okay. uh, for my next tip for public land is just know all the options you're going to have. Uh, have a plan B, have a plan C, because no matter what you think about your secret spot, someday, sometime, somebody's going to be there. And you're going to have to go to a different spot. And, um, you know, so know all your surrounding locations. And there's been plenty of times where I've gone to my go-to spot and drove somewhere else and drove somewhere else. And, you know, I mean, it, it really stinks when that happens. And usually you're in a bad mood. But, you know, um, some you'll, you'll be in even a worse mood if you, you don't have a plan C or D or whatever you get out to. And you have to come home um, on the last day of the season or something like that. <laughs> That is a really good one. Having a plan B and a plan C. I think if everyone had a plan B and a plan C, you would see less crowding yep. because I think what happens is, and, and I guess that's a tip of mine is be willing to walk away. Um, if you only have a plan A and you get to a parking lot and there's a thousand people there, but that's your only plan and you're up early and you want to hunt, it's a lot more tempting to walk in because you don't have a plan B or plan C. And I, I think you need a C and maybe a D most of the time well, we yeah. will talk about that it's like okay if someone's here what's our plan b what's our plan c um in fact w one of our videos from season two we had a really great hunt where someone beat us into a spot and we went to plan b and and the end it ended up being a really good hunt but if everyone has a plan a b and c uh you're going to get a lot less crowding and then even when you're walking in if, if you're walking into a public spot and you can't find a place to set up then you you need to turn around and walk out and that that takes a lot of um self-discipline but if everyone beats you in and there's no spot for you to set up where you're not too close to everyone else you either need to find someone else to hunt with and ask them or you just need to walk out you have to yeah. be willing to do it yeah I had a, uh, a situation last year it was actually the last day of the season and me and my buddy were going to go out on the big river and his boat um and this was when we we're having like the super super cold conditions it was like wind chills in the negative teens and uh his boat wouldn't start like we tried to start it we tried like heating it up like we we're even like torching the thing trying to warm it up and <laughs> uh <clears throat> but we could never get it to start so um that was plan a plan b i went down um to a public spot and there was there was already i was either the third or fourth group there and uh and so i just left 
you know, even one of the groups asked me if I wanted to join because I was by myself, but they had like a group of four or five and I was like, and they had to like break ice and like they were already going to their plan, their plan B somewhere else. And I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm done. I'm like, I'm not going to do that either. So, <laughs> um, unfortunately, you know, I didn't have a plan C after that. And the last day of the season, I didn't get to hunt. <laughs> it takes discipline to do that, but it's not worth ruining other people's hunts just because you haven't planned properly and you get beat in somewhere. It's not, it's not worth it. Yeah. Move on to another day. I need to give a quick shout out. I've got a cousin apparently that I don't know that just reconnected with my father in New Jersey named Lisa. And so she's watching right now. So hello, Lisa, my cousin, I've never met, but my dad has a really cool, well, it's not really a cool background, a really tragic background with his dad and brothers dying. And so he's reconnecting with some of his family members. So I want cool. to give a shout out to Lisa. What's up, Lisa? So oh, Matt, Fumble you... says start boat the night before. Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> For a public, anytime you're putting on your boat, start it the night before. Make sure it's working. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to think about that because I, I use a canoe, so it's just, you know, paddle. <laughs> yeah. So, Matt, you probably don't have to have a plan A or B or all that. You just have plan A, and there's so much wide open space, you just go there and never have competition. <laughs> well, yeah, it kind of depends where we hunt. Uh, in the sand hills, there's a lot of pump public areas, and they're so big. So, you hardly, like, I don't think we've seen a person hunting up there yet, other than. Uh, we had one hunt get cut short by some fishermen, but that was it. Uh, but well, we haven't seen anyone duck hunt up there. Maybe that'll change this fall after the past videos. I don't know. Yeah, well, maybe you keep posting your videos. That'll change. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to, like, change the name. Yeah. Anonymous yeah. Nebraska Location. <laughs> I, I stopped talking about Kansas after somewhere during season two where I just decided that people were kind of messaging me like, hey, you know, I just decided that I would drop the name out and – and I talk about it here on the podcast, but in my videos, I don't really talk about Kansas anymore. I got started to get a little more paranoid. I've I've had I've had people comment already asking where they you know where we hunt or even where we fish, and I I won't answer that. I'll you know I'll respond to anyone else any other comments, but I won't tell you. I mean, you got to put in some of the work yourself. Yeah, don't don't give them any info. Yeah, I get people I get people emailing me all the time saying I'm coming to Kansas. Um, and this day, this month, where should I go? What should I expect? <laughs> I like, may first, tell you, but it's not going to be anywhere that I'm going to be hunting. I can promise you that. <laughs> first, you're going to need a check for the guide service. Yeah. You know, you need a down payment. And <laughs> so, uh, a couple things that I, I, I forgot to mention earlier, um, about the maps, sorry to do this all out of order, but one tip for the maps that is pretty useful. I know in Indiana, we can't hunt in city limits. I'm pretty sure that's the same everywhere, but, um, one tip for Google maps. If you're curious, if your location is within city limits, if you type in the city, uh, and search it on Google maps, it'll put a red boundary all the way around it. And you can see if your spot in the river is outside of the city limits. So like, let's say it's in, uh, I'm trying to like Kansas city. <laughs> you just type in Kansas city and uh, it, it'll put a boundary all the way around it. And you can look on the river and see if your spots outside of it. So That's I always good. do that when I, when I'm looking at new spots, cause Indiana is pretty close to cities everywhere, unfortunately. No, and then um, another thing that I was thinking of, uh, there's a spot that I've been looking at on the maps and it's like almost two hours away from my house. And I was curious how far you guys are willing to drive to go to public land spots. 
regularly? Because I know you guys are probably with, with or without camping. Without, without camping, an, without just an a, overnight. What about yeah. you, Matt? Without an overnight, what about you, Matt? Oh, I've gone ninety minutes one way. So you know, three a.m. get up time, and then get out there about half hour or whatever before shooting time to get set up and everything. Ninety minutes. That's that's about the about the max I've done so far. One time we did three hours for a snow goose hunt. Once, but that's a one-time thing. We got up three hours, hours back. Um, I, I'm with Matt though. Ninety minutes is if I'm going to do it consistently. That hour and a half is kind of my outer limits. Now, if the place was just amazing, you might stretch me to an hour and forty-five. But typically, an hour and a half is. I really don't want to do more than that consistently. But normally, we do about an hour. Forty-five minutes to an hour is our normal. But I will do an hour and a half. Gotcha. Yeah, my max so far has been an hour, but you know, I'm trying to find some new locations this year and uh, wanting to hunt some different rivers, and some of that's going to stretch me out a little further, I think. The place we hunt early season, uh, if you see like teal, a lot of teal, the prairie marshes, that's two and a half. No, that's three, three and a half hours, but we always camp when we do that. Nice. Now for those for those public or those teal hunts, do you guys have it like I know in the basins in Nebraska, those guys will show up at like midnight and just stay in their trucks. Mm-hmm. Is it like that down there, like a war zone, pretty much? Or mm, well, uh, the opening can be like that, but um, there's no. I mean, <laughs> there are a few people I know on our teal opener. Well, it wasn't actually it was actually opening day of regular last year when we were in the tornado. If you guys remember that video. Um, we got to the parking lot and there was one truck there that had slept, but we still, we were walking before they were out of their truck sleeping. But um, it depends on where it is. There are certainly places in Kansas where people do that, but not typically the place that we go. Okay. So there's this, uh, this time last year, it was early, the first opening day of early goose season. And, uh, you know, similar like you guys saying, like people sleeping out in their trucks, but these guys were sleeping out in their boat. <laughs> and so, um, I don't, uh, they'd been out there. I think they'd been out there since the evening before. Um, and, uh, so anyways, I got to the boat launch like four 30. I, I thought I was going to be the first one there and these guys are already down the river. So I'm in my canoe. I can go upstream or downstream. I have no idea where these guys went. And so I just picked, I picked one way and I went upstream. And, uh, you know, I knew where, where the geese were at and go up there, go up there. And apparently that got in there before the geese, cause all the geese were roosted right, like right next to these guys in their boat. And so I go past them and like, just bust up, like literally it was like 500 geese or something, <laughs> but these guys didn't have their lights on. Obviously they were sleeping in their boat. And so, um, unfortunately, you know, they're right there. I, I, probably messed up their hunt too because all the birds just flew away but uh yeah it gets crazy when people are camping out in their boat and you don't know which way they went and you can't really beat them you know if they're staying there all night <laughs> well that's normally opening day stuff yeah so all right i want to get you guys so you guys can get close on this so kansas put out their numbers i saw historical numbers for your average hunter how many times he hunts per year uh, i'll go with uh you first, Jordan. In, in Kansas, how many times a year do you think the average hunter goes out duck hunting? Out of all the people, all the duck hunters that hunted, because we have a system where you have to log when you hunt. So they, mm-hmm. they have this data they know for a fact. How many times a year do you think the average duck hunter went hunting? 
in Kansas. I'm going to say, oh man, it's got to be low. I'm going to say single digits um, because I know we're outliers and there's probably a lot of people just go like opening day. So let's pull, I'll say four. Four, what do you think, Matt? Ah, he took my number. I'll go three. It was five. Five. (laughs) The average guy. So if you think of all the guys like us that go out as much as we can, that kind of, we're outliers one way. There are a bunch of people that go out just one, two times. There's a bunch of people that only go out opening day. How many times do you go out, Matt? Do you keep track? Yeah. Um, whew. I, it's, it's, it's gotta be about 50 days probably. Holy crap. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, how many days on. is your season? Uh, well, it's basically first, first of October all the way to the end of January and those first three weeks are when I go up to the sand hills. Then it opens up closer to where I'm living. So I can as soon as I get off work, I'm basically I got all my stuff already loaded. I throw my waders on and I'm headed to the marsh. Pretty See, for went, the first for that first week. That's insane. But I mean uh, that's good to, <laughs> at the same time. But like uh I think I went between like I I don't I think I messed up some of my days, so I don't have the exact number, but I think it was between like thirty two and thirty six days. Which like I can't imagine going like more than that. It's just yeah. it's hard. <laughs> it's hard, yeah. And and not go through a divorce, right? <laughs> <laughs> and not go through a divorce and not travel because I don't travel like north or south in other states. Like that would open up like a you know a couple more weeks, but it'd be hard. I'd be hard pressed to get more than I did this year. Matt, do you record your bird numbers and keep track of any kind of statistics of what you do at all? Yeah, uh, I do have a duck journal I keep. Um, and then last year I actually got sent one of those U.S. Fish and Game Wildlife surveys. Mm-hmm. That so that was the first year I ever got one of those, but I tracked it on there and my duck journal too. It's kind of like your website, not as in depth with the, like the shots that I miss and stuff, but <laughs> about the same. Well, I w- I would encourage you. I'm a little plug here to to create an account on Freelance Hunt Stats because just now in the test mode, I've been playing with it this week. We've got the sortable aspect of it done. So I have now logged my last 10 years of hunts, which is like 250 hunts in the last 10 years. I've got all of that data in there. And now we're to the point where I can just go and say, how did I do on sunny days? How did I do on cloudy days? How did I do on north wind? And we're going to we're It's in test phase right now. And we're getting ready to unveil that. And that is going to be a game changer to be able to go and look exactly on what weather variables at different places that you do well so i would encourage oh and you know what i I talked to him just two days ago about it we're on on, uh, for free you're going to be able to go in there and we're going to pull everyone's data there's been like over a thousand hunts logged on freelance on stats you're going to go on the main page and everyone's data is going to be pooled into group statistics and you'll be able to play with everyone's data so you can see what your average person shoots what they're shooting what type of weather they're doing the best at i'm i'm so excited about it it's gonna be it's gonna be cool yeah that's a that's a great idea and a great site so i have one request though can we can we add a slot for number of mojos used in a hunt (laughs) are you that's actually not a bad idea for real i know i want i want to be able to prove matt wrong about the 10 mojos not being gold (laughs) yeah that's actually a great idea and you know what else i'd like to do is um type a shot and choke 
Oh, yeah. If you could see percentages and sort by type of ammo. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. You say, what's my shooting percentage with Remington 2s? Yeah, and you'd be like, oh, man, heavy shot, man. They're just like yeah. literally 7% better than every other brand or something like that. You know? so the, the stat freaks are just going to go nuts. Like, well, with my with Remington 2s, a north wind sunny days with a modified choke, yeah. I average 0.5% higher. <laughs> you could see like the difference between 20 gauge and 12 gauge shotguns on geese I mean, or something I mean, like, like that. Seriously, <laughs> once those filters are in place, you can spend hours on that site just playing with your data. The only thing you have to worry about is people being trolls or something, you know? And faking their data? Yeah, like someone saying they use like a 20 gauge with like a... Thanks again, guys, for joining us on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. If you guys could do us a real quick favor and head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, write a review. It helps us out a ton. And also... If you haven't checked out me and Elliot on YouTube, you can find me at Duck Gun Chronicles and Elliot at Freelance Duck Hunting. Hit that subscribe button and join us for all of our content live and hunts through season. Anyways, that's all we got, and we'll see you guys next time. Let's go.